Summer TV. Oh my, this is the Geek Confidential Podcast. Joining me today, I have the entire GC gang with me. It's been a while since we podcasted, mostly because of my fault. I was traveling, we had technical issues, there were holidays, I was sick. Excuses, 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 I'm sorry. So, joining me today, Melody Akles. Welcome, Mel. Hey, hey. Are you ready to discuss some summer TV, the things that really got you excited over this past summer? I am ready. Let's do it. Even though your opening kind of reminded me of lions, tigers, and bears all by, but that's that's not the point. I'm excited. <laughs> okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Dan Pierce, welcome, Dan. Hey guys. And Mo Walker, welcome. Hi everybody. Well, since this is sort of a summer TV wrap-up podcast, and because there haven't been very many um, episodes of the podcast this summer. I thought we might do something a little bit differently. Um, We're going to do a summer TV wrap-up that encompasses pretty much all television. The only thing was that it had to be scripted, so we couldn't really do reality television, though I will. Um, So in in this case, we're going to be discussing all kinds of things that may or may not be geek sci-fi fantasy related there will be some of that for sure but there's a lot of good television i just found that there's not necessarily much sci-fi and fantasy at least on the major networks that i'm accustomed to watching so i'm going to go around the circle real quick and just ask each of you which show got you most excited this past summer and then we'll dive into them mel what one was it for you pose hands down that show had me running to my tv on sundays i even recorded it because i knew i was going to watch it again it is fantastic dan uh definitely casual on hulu um the final season debuted with all eight episodes coming out at the same time which is a little different from the normal hulu uh trend but it was gripping it was it really encapsulated so much of what I loved about the characters and it was a fulfilling goodbye uh, to this great show. Okay. Mo. For me, it was HBO's succession, which is about a media family called the Roy's and how they're big, how they're very cutthroat and everyone's fighting to take over this media conglomerate because their father, uh, Brian Cox is on the verge of retiring, dying, dying, getting dementia who knows but this show built up a lot of steam over its 10 episode run over the summer and it took me a couple episodes to get in but once i dove in i just couldn't wait for to watch it on sunday nights mel you mentioned pose it is one of my two favorite shows uh shows of this past summer um so since you touched on it i'm going to go with my other one yellowstone on the paramount network is literally the lannisters in Montana in 2018 and it is everything Um, I can't wait to dive into it more let's talk a little bit about Pose Mel what did you love about Pose oh what did I not love about this show so for anybody doesn't know uh, Pose comes on FX it is set in the 1980s New York City ballroom scene this is a culture that's still around today. It involves a lot of our transgender brothers and sisters, and they go out and they walk certain categories down a runway, so to speak, and they get judged. And categories could be realness of how real you look as a woman or how real look as a man or even how real you look as someone in the military or in an evening gown or things like that. And the categories are all different and they all get judged in the categories. And it's kind of a little bit of fame in that community. And it's fabulous. If anybody has seen a movie called Paris is Burning, it's based a lot off of that. But in the series, we go way deeper into the culture. We follow our main characters, um, Blanca, Electra Abundance, uh, Lil Poppy, 
um, Damon is the kid who we see in the very beginning. He gets thrown out of his house for being gay. He ends up on the streets in New York City. He ends up being seen by Blanca, Electra Abundance. They bring him into the New York City ballroom fold. And it's just a lot about the culture at the time, how prevalent AIDS was. Like I knew that it was prevalent, but I didn't realize how hard and how much everyone kind of had it and how much of an epidemic it was. I guess that's kind of just me being young and thinking, oh yeah, it happened, but not realizing how deep everything went into it and how like the nurses in the hospital basically didn't want anything to do with them. Like it was just a lot of things kind of blew my mind there. Um, this is a series from Ryan Murphy. It definitely has this Ryan Murphy moments, but it is fabulous. I mean, the soundtrack is amazing. It brings you kind of right back to that era. I think the costumes are definitely on point. They open, show. They open the season <laughs> with a museum heist. Yes, to get which is called mopping, but keep going <laughs> to get a costumes and win the trophy. They do a museum heist to get the costumes. Mm-hmm. The the costumery in this series is amazing, but keep going. Is absolutely fantastic, and you know they each have their own houses, and houses are basically like your family because a lot of times the people who are part of the ballroom scene are kind of outcasts of their family. They were thrown out because of their sexual orientation, because of their lifestyle, which is really sad, but they kind of have to create their own family. So you see all the different houses and how they interact and, you know, everything that they have to go through, even with their real families. That was kind of a lot of Blanca's story was creating her own family while dealing with her biological family at the same time. Y'all, the show is just absolutely fantastic. And there are those over-the-top, out-of-this-world moments that you're like, this could only happen on TV, and I eat up every last bit of it. I loved that show. And it's already gotten renewed for season two, so I cannot wait to see where we pick back up. Everything that you said is bullseye on target. The only thing that I would like add to that in terms of like actors that I don't think you mentioned, Billy Porter... It oh my god is amazing oh if he does not get an emmy or at least a nomination i am going to riot do you hear me there is a scene where someone passes away and billy porter learns some pertinent information and when i tell y'all he had me doing the deep breaths to try not to cry it was intense. Billy Porter, absolutely fantastic. But I also think the actress that portrays um, Blanca, MJ Rodriguez, mm-hmm. I think she's fantastic as well. The entire cast is stunning. And like you, going into this series, I knew nothing about this. That may not surprise longtime listeners to either of the podcasts, but I was not familiar. I knew about I, this culture. I, was, I, would just I had that. no idea going in. All I knew is FX had this really cool trailer that was really stylized. And I'm like, it's from Ryan Murphy, which means I'm guaranteed a great first season. And I'm like, I'm going to give it a chance. And I did. And I do not regret it. Pose is like, when I think about the best shows of the TV season, Pose, regardless of it being a summer series, is literally top three. It is um, It has amazing cinematography. The soundtrack is epic. The acting is phenomenal. The nuance, the characterization, the rivalries are amazing. The tender moments are amazing. The Christmas episode, <laughs> oh my God. It just walloped you. And for someone who wasn't isn't wasn't isn't that wasn't familiar with that culture then and is only really aware of it, through this show wow it was it was a glimpse into something that i could never have imagined and it was wonderful in its beauty its simplicity and its extravagance dan yes what, were, what tell me about casual and i and for those who might be daytime confidential listeners Julie Marie Berman is on the series, and I understand that she um, brought it together. 
Yes. So uh, for those that don't know, Julie Marie Berman, a.k.a. we knew her as Lulu uh, GH for many years. Uh, she's like during the first and second season, she's more of a recurring character, like a uh, comic relief. She plays the um, the receptionist named Leia, who is kind of one of the only friends to the main character, Valerie. Um, but as seasons three and four progress, she gets a more filled out character. And when season four goes around, they do basically a time jump. Like the whole season takes place four years after season three. So by that point, she has become a therapist herself, as opposed to just the um, receptionist of a therapist. So she has her own patients. She has her own life together. She's married like that. That in of itself is a pretty cool side story. And we get to see her and her husband, Leon, who we've we've known Leon for since episode one. He's one of just an incredible character played by uh, Nayasha Hitendi, who is just he's so. He, he's like the audience reacting to all of the chaos and how abnormal the situations can get between Valerie and Alex, the siblings who are the main characters played by Michaela Watkins and Tommy Dewey. Um, there, with Valerie going through her divorce and moving in with her brother and having to raise her teenage daughter and watching her daughter make a lot of uh, mistakes in relationships while she's making mistakes in relationships, while her brother basically invented the show's version of Tinder and is continuing to make mistakes in relationships. It's just, it, it's been such an amazing ride, and season four really gives hits a lot of the beats that we were kind of hoping that they would hit. Um as it pertains to how technology affects relationships, how mental health plays a factor in the decision-making involved. Uh, just it, it, it's truly an incredible journey, like going through by season by season, it is a worthwhile journey and it's just full of laughs. Like it's re it's a really funny and clever show. And it was written by the same guy who did Juno and up in the air and it's honestly just a worthwhile experience that I definitely would recommend you guys checking out. Mo, tell me about Succession. When you were describing it to me before the podcast, it sounded very soapy. HBO Succession was the Sunday night soapy business drama that I think America came to love. Um, again, when I first heard about this show... One of the things that, that drew me in is because throughout the summer, we've been reading about these big media acquisitions, whether it's Disney getting a hold of Fox, a number of Fox's television and movie assets to the battle uh, in CBS between uh, Sherry Redstone versus Les Moonves. And with Succession, we have something very similar. Uh, it's a family drama in which the patriarch, uh, Logan Roy, played by Brian Cox, if you he was one of the uh, the main villain in X2, X-Men United. He has four children by uh, two different marriages. His three younger children all are interest seem to be very interested in the company, different aspects of it. His uh, second oldest son, um, which is... Kendall Roy, played by Jeremy Strong, he's he's very much in this vein of, um, and and I'm not trying to get very political here, but in, in many ways he reminds me of of, the, of, of Donald Trump's older two sons, um, and he, he's played in this world where he wants his his, his father's uh, throne. He believes he's ready to earn that, but at each juncture, he keeps doing these little things that shoots himself in the foot, like getting caught up on drugs. Um, his marriage is falling apart. He's um, he's trying to like take over the family business, and he repeatedly fails at, at doing that. Um, and Brian Cox, you know, as this patriarch, one of the things that he's battling is is that he's in he's in he's um, degenerating mentally. Um, he's suffering from dementia. He's there's this whole really 
poignant scene in which the uh, Brian Cox's character Logan Roy actually starts urinating on himself, and and it's very fascinating stuff because if you are if you're someone who's had a family member suffering from mental illness, you 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 want to tell them how do you how do you get your 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 parent. Um, to give up the reins of something that they've lived for for their entire life. And this show not only is it about, you know, this family just trying to to figure out how they can get their father to let go the reins of this company, it's about these characters who've more or less been in some ways either coddled or belittled by their father all their lives trying to figure out who they are. Um, in addition to the family members, there's... Um, there's a character named Tom who's played by Matthew McFadden. Um, actually, Matthew McFadden is probably one of the the actors on this show that I'm very familiar with. He was in one of my favorite British television shows uh, called MI5. He Oh, he plays, why'd you have to take me there? Keep going, sorry. Spooks! <laughs> yes, yeah, so, but he, it's very different than you... And Matthew McFadden usually plays these very leading man-esque roles, and his character of Tom is just this it's just uh, a whimpering um, kind of man who's just who just cow who's just cowers behind his fiance uh, Shiv, who's played by uh, Sarah Snook, and Shiv is she wants to be part of the family business, but at the same time she's interested and she has a political consulting business. So one of the main storylines in this season is. There's a political candidate running for president. He's antagonizing her father. Shiv is caught in the middle of this. Meanwhile, Shiv uh, maybe, maybe not have a, having a dalliance with an old boyfriend of hers. And this kind of builds and kind of culminates at the wedding between Shiv and Tom, which is kind of the season finale. Um, and, and last but not least, in, ter- in terms of the more interesting Roy children is Kieran Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's younger brother, also plays another member of the Roy family, Roman Roy. And, and he is just this very weird character who who loves to throw parties and he's he, he just wants to just hang out with, with hookers and um, he trying to tricks Tom at his bachelorette party into um, hooking up with someone and and then invites that woman that Tom hooked up with to his sister's wedding just for fun and kicks. He's, he's a pot stirrer. He's a yes. He, that's Luke. You're you're. That's probably the best way to describe. Okay. It. There's some, yeah. So there's some very interesting performances. It's been renewed for a second season. Like I said before, it's kind of slow to get in a couple first episodes, but once you get in, it's a bit of a train wreck, and you kind of want to see how these characters' lives progress. Yellowstone on Paramount is the show I didn't know I needed, but am loving every minute of. As I mentioned earlier, it's basically the Lannisters on a massive ranch in Montana, and... Kevin Costner plays the patriarch John Dutton. It the and he, much like Tywin Lannister, manipulates all kinds of things, whether it's family, whether it is local government, whether it is state government. The every single one of the characters on this show is compelling. The cinematography is beautiful. The scale, the it's very grand. I feel like sometimes you let me put it this way. So, you know, when Dallas was rebooted, Dallas seemed like it was fun. It was enjoyable, but it was maybe it didn't always seem like it had that grand of scale for these ma- amazing um, oil tycoons. This show has that scale. Kelly Riley, who plays Beth Dutton, is basically the Cersei on this show. She will do anything for her father to preserve her father's dream but she doesn't actually have any interest in the ranch, but she will do anything cutthroat necessary to preserve it. Luke Grimes plays Casey, who is the youngest son who is married to a Native American woman. They have a child. They've been living on a reservation because of the fact that um, 
he does not like some of the things that his father has done. He's very much a Jamie Lannister type, especially as the season progresses. At first, I was thinking of calling him like a Jon Snow, but Jon Snow has a may, maybe has a few has maybe a stronger spine in terms of moral at some points um in the show so that's why i ended up saying he was more of a jamie lannister because with jamie lannister you can sometimes see the conflict of the things that he's doing out of duty to family wes bentley who plays jamie dutton plays a modern day Tyrion lannister in that he is the lawyer. He is the person who basically cleans up all of the family's messes legally, but whose father does not respect him be from a manly standpoint. He can respect him from getting stuff done legally, but for Kevin Costner's character, he's just a piece to be moved on the chessboard. And to the point where he encourages his son to run for, uh, 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 I believe, Attorney General. I maybe forget the specific um, political one, but I believe it's Attorney General of Montana. And at first, he's behind it, because, and he's manipulated it so that the governor's on board, because, of course, John Dutton is sleeping with the governor. So he, like, he hits her up and is like, hey, how can we make my son the Attorney General? He convinces the attorney general, the, the current attorney general to retire, to, to open up the spot. But then as the season progresses and his son is in the campaign, when the, the son's campaign manager doesn't take, like doesn't let the calls go through to, from John to his son, she's very much a Marjorie Tyrell type character. When she doesn't let those calls go through during a crisis, John and Jamie have a confrontation and it is basically one of those things where he cuts his son off. He banishes him. He says that he's going to get someone to run against his own son for attorney general. And suddenly the son is faced with going out on his own and making a life for himself out of the shadow of his immensely uh, out of the immense shadow of his immensely powerful father. It is, is wonderful. I would highly encourage everyone to watch it, binge the whole thing if it's available to be binged. Check your on-demand services through your local cable provider. It is worth the watch. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other things that excited us this summer. Dan and Mo, I understand that you guys were um, watching some anime. What were you watching, Dan? Uh, I was watching season three of Attack on Titan, uh, which is still going on. Uh, new episodes come out every Sunday, uh, but I think the season's maybe got a couple weeks left. Uh, it's been a weird year. Um, so the the whole series is based around this uh, this story where humanity has built walls to protect themselves from these giants who are threatening to eat them. Um, and are like hungry to do so. And one of the walls gets taken down uh, in season one and they have to keep fighting these Titans and moving the population inward toward the higher class walls because there's also social hierarchy and economic situations and a whole thing involving like, you know, are they going to have enough food? That, that sort of thing. Uh, well, this season... Instead of focusing on Titans, they've just decided to focus on the hierarchy of the royal family and how it pertains to the characters involved and how the army that's in charge of fighting the Titans is being pitted up against the military police because they were framed for murder. And I'm just kind of sitting here like, you guys, you guys know you're the last of humanity, right? Like, there's Titans out there. They're going to eat you guys if they get in here. And you guys are squabbling amongst yourselves for political power. Like, what's the what's the political power if everyone's dead? This is this is kind of a, a you know everyone's fighting over the Iron Throne, but uh, there's a there's a bigger war to be fought that that's about to go down. Um, so, needless to say, it's been a mixed bag this season. Um, but I'm hoping that they're able to stick the landing from a somewhat disappointing year. So, yeah. Okay. Mo, what what anime have you been watching? 
Well, mine has been uh, My Hero Academia, which is a show about a high school for young and up-and-coming superheroes. And so this is the third season of, of My Hero Acad Academia. It comes out weekly on Saturdays. Through, you can get it through Crunchyroll or Hulu. And so the show pr primarily focuses on Class 1A, which is a group of students who have all these weird little superpowers and so forth. But it primarily focuses on two couple characters. One is Deku or Midoriya. Now, Midoriya does not initially at the start of the show doesn't have a superpower and which is he's a he's a mutant because in this war, reality almost everyone has a has a superpower and if you don't have a superpower which they call quirk then you're kind of somewhat ostracized in society so midoriya proves himself to the number one superhero named all might and all might passes along a portion of his power to midoriya so he can um attend this this private school in the third season the class it's focused on it's it's focused on two things one the kids are, are learning how to uh, they're going to summer camp initially to kind of learn how to level the level up kind of use their powers in, in, in better ways because the first two seasons they keep getting kidnapped attacked by these super villains and during the uh, the course of the third season yet again they're attacked by super villains and one of the other characters in the sh the other leads in the show his name is Bakudo and he has this sort of explosive hand power and he's a bit of a bad boy and he can kind of go either way he could he could potentially be the greatest supervillain in the world or he could be a really great superhero he gets kidnapped um, once that that plot thread is resolved they're now into the story arc in which these characters these kids are trying to get their uh, provisional superhero license so yeah this is a society in which superheroes are regulated you know i guess you think back to the marvel cinematic universe if you remember um licensing superheroes kind of didn't work for for the marvel um mcu but in my hero academia licensed superheroes it seems to work out fairly well um so we're in the midst of the storyline in which the kids, Midoriya and everyone, are, are trying to pass this license or e examination. Um, they're starting to kind of um, have some um, uh, some teen, little teen drama. There's there's one little character um, who's, who has gravity powers. She has a little crush on Midoriya. So we get a little bit of that as well. Um, there's a lot of hijinks and so forth. Uh, if you want, if you're missing like a superhero type show, I suggest that you you check out My Hero Academia. There's also a manga as as well in which this this show is based on. Mel, you binged a show about the same time I did, and your reactions on Twitter were very similar to the ones that I had when I was watching it. Netflix's Glow is about female wrestling in California in the 80s, and it is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I absolutely agree. So I don't know about anybody else, but being a 90s kid, it was kind of almost impossible to not be a professional wrestling fan at some point. And it was kind of my life when I was younger. Um, I always tell I was about mm, maybe 20 or so. And then I kind of lost interest, but I still peek in every now and then. But 80s wrestling, when wrestling was on top of the world, was everything. So, and you can see a lot of clips on YouTube. Sometimes I would do that. But that's another point. Glow on Netflix was kind of the reason I wanted to watch it. And I overheard people talking about it. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm I'm just going to give it a shot. And I accidentally watched the first season in two days. <laughs> because it was a fantastic. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. The main character is a girl named Ruth. I cannot remember the actress's name. At Allison Brie. Allison Brie, thank you, Uncle Luke. Um, Allison Brie plays Ruth, and we see her that she's a struggling actress in Los Angeles, and she's trying to get these parts. And <laughs> honestly, one of the first scenes we see is her getting rejected again, and she asks the cast casting director, "Why am I? Why do you always call me if you're just gonna reject me?" And the casting director tells her. Well, I always bring you in because the directors always think that the type of girl they want is you. And I show them that you're exactly what they don't want. And I was like, oh, oh, that's rough. Well, she kind of stumbles into this whole professional wrestling thing, trying to be a working actress. And she kind of meets another a group of girls who are along the same lines. They kind of all have their 
own struggles and they all want to work. They need jobs and they end up being professional wrestlers and it's them trying to figure out, you know, who their character is going to be, what kind of move they're going to do, um, and how the storyline is going to progress. The, um, producer of the wrestling show is this guy named Stan who makes these really off the wall, not even quirky, super offensive old school movies. And he thinks he knows every damn thing and he does it. And the girls kind of teach him along the way of the way, how the way things should be done. And maybe we should do things differently. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of soapy drama in there because Ruth ends up sleeping with one of the ladies, the wrestling ladies that she knew prior. She ends up sleeping with uh, her husband. And that was kind of, the driving drama of the first season. There's a lot involved with that. One of the um, main wrestlers is a former soap actress who got kicked off of her show. So and I, it was I her husband was who, who Ruth slept yes. with. Yes. So I thought that was like super interesting. It's just, it, I felt like it was a good show, has a great cast, tons of potential. It, it's two seasons on Netflix. The episodes are 30 minutes right around a piece, and it's a quick binge. I think I watched the whole series in four days, if you want the truth. It is amazing. The, the casting is perfect. The hijinks are perfect. And I was so disappointed that Allison Brie did not get an Emmy nomination because she so deserved it. Um, I'm not, I admittedly, I'm not a wrestling fan. I know a lot of people are, I'm just not one of those people, but for me watching this, which I learned afterwards is based on a true story from the yeah, 80s. There was, yeah. There's a real like glow gorgeous ladies of wrestling. There was a real glow wrestling show back in the day. And it, the, the, the dynamic between the women is wonderful. Um, as you pointed out, Sam is a very interesting director, producer, shall we say. If you haven't watched it, you need to. I. It was one of those things of the first season. I'm like, oh, I don't really care about wrestling. I don't, I'm not going to watch it. So I ignored the first season when it came out. And then I was had some time to kill. And I'm like, okay, I've heard really good things about this. I'm going to watch it. And I regretted not having watched it sooner. It was that good. Mo, there, there's been a number of sci-fi fantasy shows that either wrapped up or just premiering for the summer. And, and let's take and talk about some of those real quick. So we had the originals on the CW, which wrapped its final season, which tears, hashtag tears. Um, Cloak and Dagger pr- premiered on Freeform. I think I still have six episodes on my DVR left to watch. I haven't, like, it moved a little bit slower than I expected, so I haven't watched the whole thing, but I fully intend to. Killjoys has returned on Sci-Fi. Wyanona Earp has returned on Sci-Fi. Of those shows, which ones have, which ones were you or have you been most excited about this summer? Well, I really have been following three of the four. Uh, the originals, Cloak and Dagger, and Killjoys. Unfortunately, I'm a bit behind on, on Winona Earp. And of those three, I would say the one that I, I found compel- the most compelling week to week really was uh, Cloak and Dagger. Um, just in terms of how different it was um, in terms of what we've been getting from a Marvel television show. Um, with the exception of Runaways, there's a there's a bit of overlap there. Um, for, for me, um, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, Cloak and Dagger, Cloak and Dagger, they are a duo. Um, one uh, Cloak, uh, his name's Tyrone Johnson, Tandy, and then oops, excuse me, uh, Dagger, whose name is Tandy Bowen. Um, they b- both of these two teen characters get superpowers, which they slowly develop over the course of the first uh, 10 episode uh, season. Um, Tandy can create these sort of light dag, these daggers made of light. And she can also, as, as the show goes on, she can ma- manipulate people's hopes. And then Tyrone, he basically can uh, teleport and he can also um, instill fear or sense people's fear kind of tweaks on what we've traditionally got in, in the in the comics 
Cloak and Dagger were, were pretty, in the comics, were pretty no, known as uh, Spider-Man supporting cast members. They actually been considered X-Men at different different times. But the story, the story is uh, for the television show. They focus on uh, these characters being in, in New Orleans. Um, they're Tandy from, uh, for instance, she came from an, an upper middle class affluent family, and after this um, explosion at a company uh, company plant called Roxxon, her family lost everything and her father died. Her father was an executive with this company. He took the blame for this. The, the uh, Her story arc for most of the first season is about proving that her father was wronged and that uh, Roxxon was guilty of a cover-up. Tyrone's story arc for the, fir- for the first season is mostly about the night of this explosion and accident. Tyrone and his younger brother were together and the police shot and killed Tyrone's older brother. And Tyrone is, is trying to process his anger and his feelings about this and try to, um, try to get justice for, for his, his, his brother. And one of the best, the aspect, one of the best things that you can take away from Cloak and Dagger is, is that, um, it's, it's dealing with relevant social issues, um, police shootings, Black Lives Matter, um, how mega corporations, um, um, manipulating the environment, all these, these uh, contemporary issues are rolled into this show. It's not very flashy and superheroic in, in, in ways that you would traditionally expect, but I think it is a very solid, slow-burning show. Well, Luke, for, for, how, so how did you feel about the originals? Um, I So, first of all, I've loved the mythology of the originals. Sometimes I felt that it was stronger after it was spun off from the Vampire Diaries, there were seasons where I felt it was stronger than later seasons of um, the Vampire Diaries. But the Vampire Diaries had such an amazing series finale that I was really looking forward to seeing how this one wrapped up. We're going to be getting a spinoff from it called Legacy, which is coming in the fall or mid-season. I'd have to double-check the dates, and I'm looking forward to that as well. I was a little bit sad because I really didn't want Elijah to die the way he did. I mean, he had his he had his moment where like he turned into dust the same way we got to watch in Infinity War. It was like, oh, apparently this is in the same continuity as Infinity War because we're just dissolving and floating off into space. I was sort of disappointed because Klaus and Caroline didn't get what they deserved Caroline and like I am not a fan of Klaus I always thought that he was a petulant child who was basically throwing temper tantrums but I understood why and how like why he was so important to this canvas he drove immense amount of storylines because of him being this angsty man turned eventual father Rebecca is always my favorite part of the originals. So to see her story wrap up was something that I was both sad, but I, in the end, she got what she wanted. I There was some controversy I read online about some people being um, upset about how some of the characters' endings wrapped up. But for me, I thought it was a solid series finale. I wish it wasn't as strong as the Vampire Diaries season finale or series finale, but it was it was a strong finale that I enjoyed. One of the other shows that I've been watching this season or this summer is American Woman. It stars Alicia Silverstone, Mina Savari and Jennifer Bartels. And as Bonnie, Kathleen and Diana, women in the 80s who are dealing with their with different things. Uh, Alicia Silverstone's character, Bonnie, um, discovers that her husband is cheating. She has two daughters. She throws her husband out. They begin to go down the path of a separation. And it's about her having to come to terms with the fact that she has no money, in part because her husband was in sort of like a Ponzi um, scheme in terms of real estate. And so suddenly she's having to go to work for the first time to support her daughter and she's going her daughters and she goes to work at a department store and 
comes back with the realization after putting in two weeks of work that she has $54 on her paycheck after taxes and things. Granted, it's the 1980s, but still, no one wants to see a paycheck for $54. Um, one of the things that sort of ends up happening is that one of her friends, Kathleen, is starting a talent agency for um, actors or in California, and her boyfriend, Kathleen's boyfriend, ends up being a gay character, and that's part of Kathleen's story. But as it applies to Bonnie, she ends up getting Bonnie's daughter a TV gig for a commercial, and that gig ends up helping pay some of the bills that her that Bonnie and her husband are not able to pay. So there's this dynamic of her as a mother trying to do what's best for her daughters, but then in some respects having to rely on her daughter for her income. Uh, Jennifer Bartels, who plays Diana, Diana is a loan officer who is is a woman who is dealing with the corporate ladder in the 80s and trying to rise above the various forms of discrimination that took take place in the workplace for women who are trying to move up. Their, the three of their friendship is very complicated. It's a one. It's a. It's considered a comedy. It's considered a half hour, but it's more of a dramedy, and that's okay because it ends up being really good. The cinema, like Glow, like Pose, the cinematography for '80s nails it, and it's just a fun series. There are some times when I feel like Alicia might be like eating a bit of scenery, but it's in a good way most of the time. Mo, before I move on, uh, real quick, what do you, what are you thinking of how Killjoys is playing out? Killjoys is it feels like a slow burn. It's very weird. Um, there, it's this this fourth season is dealing just so far, didn't just been dealing with the fallout from this this war with the Holland, which I think the the war just ended really quickly. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with with Killjoys, uh, Killjoys is about primarily about three space bounty hunters. Dutch, um, Johnny, and Davin. Davin and Johnny are, are siblings. In the the third season, we meet uh, Dutch's. You might as well call her her mother, um, which is which is called Anila. And Anila is overseeing this uh, these space parasites who take the form of, of of who invade and take over human bodies. Um, called the Holland, and what we've been getting so far in the fourth season is is first of all the team has been separated, um, which I'm glad that Dutch was reunited with the Jacoby brothers, uh, Johnny and Davin, within the first um, within the first three episodes. I was really concerned that they were uh, going to drag this out, and in the last two episodes, we've been dealing with. Um, Davin's baby mama, who is <laughs> who is a uh, Delasea Kendry, um, and she's been an antagonist of the the trio for most of the series. She became pregnant with this hybrid Hullen human child. Uh, the mother is Anila, the father is Davin, and the child has some peculiar abilities. So. I, I feel like this fourth season overall, I feel like we're it's it's just more or less exploring the Holland. I don't necessarily feel like we're going to get the kind of uh, episode of the week kind of thing that we were getting in, in season one and two. And I and I think that this is laying the groundwork for the fifth and final season, which comes out next year. And, and unfortunately, it's not as good as previous seasons, but I love the characters interacting with each other because they have so much energy that I don't really care about the plot. I, I'm there for the characters. Mel, we're about to wrap up the podcast. Mm -hmm. It was a good summer for TV. What's that one last show that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Well, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but The Handmaid's Tale, season two. Oh, man, y'all. This show started off with a bang, with the handmaids being punished for not wanting to stone one of the fellow handmaids. When I tell you I was on the edge of my seat, I mean it. They almost hung every last handmaid, but they didn't do it in the end. But I think 
to sum up this season in less than two minutes, that this season was a lot about June and her journey and exactly where she wants to end up. Because in this season, she was pregnant for most of the time with a child that is hers. She knew she was going to have to give up at some point. And the way that whole situation resolved, like, I, I understand why she ended up doing what she's doing, but it's it's a struggle. And, um... We see a lot of everyone's lives before Gilead took over. I thought that was interesting that everybody was already kind of twisted in their own ways. We see a lot of uh, Mora's character and Luke in Canada and how they're trying to get um, June back and they can't quite make it, you know. But in the end, one of our handmaids gets away, that girl from Gilmore Girls. Uh, Alexis Bledel, her character gets away and she takes June's baby with her and I understand why she couldn't leave because she couldn't leave her first baby, Hannah you know, which she ends up being reunited with during this season so there there was a lot going on lots of different feelings, I'm kind of interested to see where they'll go in season 3 because you know they they basically helped her escape and she was like, no I'm not leaving, so that was a whole twisted thing, but there was a lot, a lot, a lot involved. I want to see what happened with Aunt Lydia because, whew, don't look like she going to make it, but it's a great show. I love it. Bring on season three. Dan, what's that final show for you this summer? Uh, definitely. I, I know it was a little bit of a delay, but I managed to catch Ozark. Uh, and I'm really excited for the upcoming season two that's coming this week. Um, it's got so many of the aspects of Breaking Bad that we loved, especially for me personally, where uh, the idea of investing all of this dirty money into businesses so that way it cleans the money and stuff. Um, watching Jason Bateman try and do that throughout um, you know, the Ozarks, which has so many unique uh business opportunities let's just say um it's really interesting and it's really gripping television and you're uh, like constantly worried about his safety his family's safety whether it's from the uh the drug dealers that sent him or the drug dealers he runs into while he's there because spoiler alert missouri's actually the meth capital of america um and it, it's just it's really interesting it's a really interesting portrayal i just wish it were taking place in the state of missouri but alas there's no tax credits there like georgia um so and georgia can be anywhere but keep going oh no abs- absolutely um i think they just got a couple like town scenery shots from like the ozarks but that's about it uh, but yeah, no, Georgia is very diverse when it comes to the landscape and stuff like that, where you can you can say it's anywhere. And that's that's really cool. And the best tax credits, obviously. Um, but needless to say, so yeah, Ozark season two is coming uh, August 31st, I believe. Uh, so definitely check that out because I'm going to be doing the same. Mo, what's that one last show you want to give uh, acknowledge? TV Land's Younger, which is actually in its fifth season. For those of you who are not familiar with Younger, it's about a 40-something-year-old woman, Eliza Miller, who pretends she is a 26, 27-year-old initially when the show starts, um, who's trying to make her way in the publishing uh, industry. Um, she uh, uh, she has a number of friends and cohorts at, at her at her office job. Uh, Kelsey Peters, played by Hilary Duff. Um, and Charles Michael Davis, who plays Zane Anders. Now, um, in, in this fifth season, one of the things is is that Liza has been uh, had two main love interests. One is it's one guy's named Josh. The other is her boss, Char- uh, Charles. And during the course of this fifth season, uh, Liza, Charles has finally learned that Liza is not really 20-something, but actually is a 40-something. Um, they try to give this relationship a go after this whole rocky period of which he feels angry about her lying to him. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Josh, Liza's former boyfriend, who is actually a 20-something-year-old, he he still has these feelings for Liza. He's trying to, trying to stay in her orbit. They share some mutual friends, uh, such as such as Kelsey and another woman named Lauren um, and Maggie. 
what I like is Younger is the lighter version of Sex in the City. In in many ways, it's it's a cleaner version of Sex in the City, but at times it, it still feels very fresh and very contemporary. And I like how they've tackled such subjects such as me too, me too and so forth um it's it's not a perfect 20 minute show but i think it, it is the epitome of a summer show uh the summer show that i want to touch on is one that i did not watch the first season thankfully it is a show that is self-contained seasons almost like an anthology even though the same characters reappear that is trial and error on nbc trial and error lady killer stars Christian Chenoweth as Lavina Peck Foster, who is this hoot of a character. And I don't, words can't really describe this show if you haven't watched it. But the basic premise is, is that Nicholas uh, D'Agosto's character, Josh Segal, is, is a lawyer. And he ends up in this town where he ends up defending these guys these really quirky personalities in court he and his team sherry shepherd who was once the view co uh co-host plays ann flatch who has all of these diagnosed diseases or um quirks that pop up in episodes that create hilarious gags steve boyer plays Dwayne reed who is also like his detective for his cases but is also part of the police department so that provides some very interesting things um dynamics jemiah mays who was on glee plays carol ann keen who is a an aspiring district attorney well she is a she is a district attorney but she's wanting to become the district attorney and the court case is the court cases and scenes are hilarious it Imagine a David E. Kelly, uh, Ally McBeal style lawyer comedy, but a half hour with way more quirks where everybody is extremely quirky, except for one character who is Josh, the, the attorney. He's the straight man on it. And they just run with it. If you haven't watched it, I believe the second season is 10 episodes. It's definitely worth checking out if you need a good laugh it was my unexpected surprise of the summer we would encourage you to comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com follow us on twitter twitter.com slash gkconfidential like us on facebook facebook.com slash gkconfidential you can find mel on twitter at melody Akles. dan is at real dan pierce and mo is at dr mo 77 yes okay i'm at luke underscore curve we thank you for listening until next time so long bye guys bye everybody Bye, y'all.